0: Welcome to the Fort Hill Community Church Sunday morning sermon taught by Pastor Aaron Manning. Well, welcome again. Thank you for joining us and joining me this morning as we meet virtually. I know it's um, we're, you know I'm I'm over the whole virtual thing. I'll just be honest. Um, I've had way too much of that um, with COVID and. Just everything that happens, right? But it's it's winter in Maine. It's where we live. It's what we signed up for. It is what it is, and we're making the most of it. I hope that you made it through your uh, blizzard. Um, I'm not even sure if it was officially a blizzard. Hope you made it through the snowstorm, okay? I know for us, we made it through okay. We had a good day yesterday, and one thing that I am really starting to appreciate as we moved into our new house is my wood stove, my wood stove. I know not, not everyone has a wood stove, something I'd never had before growing up in Mississippi, never had a chance to, never needed to, um, but something that I have now. I'm learning a lot from my wood stove. We are definitely leaning on our woods, my wood stove, or I guess our wood stove last night. I was even somewhat hoping that the power would go out yesterday. I know, you know, that's kind of silly, but just to kind of test it, just to kind of test it. And I, w- I was even envisioning having to cook food on the thing, right? Because, um, because you know, it feels like little house on the prairie type of deal. As I've been working through, um, you know, li- living in this house and, and dealing with winter and dealing with this wood stove, I've really come to appreciate it, not just in the heat that it gives, but In the sort of metaphor that it that it can teach us or metaphor it gives us for deeper spiritual truths today we are gonna end our sermon series rethink God where we've been looking forward to this new year and we've been trying to find God in our new year and if you remember so far we've seen that we need to abide in Jesus we need to abide in Jesus we need to redeem our time we need to not waste our time And today, we are going to talk about feeding our souls, that we need to feed our souls. And this is where the wood stove comes in. I've learned with the wood stove that in order to get a good fire, you have to feed your fire. If you don't feed your fire, it's not going to burn brightly, and it's not going to burn hot. It's going to get choked up. And it's going to just kind of be, you know, smoky and not really be worth anything. And what I've learned is the fire needs three things. First, it needs fuel. You need fuel. And there's different sort of progression of fuel that you need. You need small fuel, like little twigs and stuff. You need something bigger, like kindling. And then eventually you work your way to the big logs there for the fire. But you need fuel. The second thing you need for a good fire is air. You need air. And so... Whenever I was starting, I would blow on the fire. Uh, we have those little, I don't even know what they are, but this little thing that blows you know, direct air on the, the ember there. We got that thing going. So I got those two. And then finally, I need a spark. I need a spark. I need something to start the fire. And so what I have is just a little lighter thing. And I light some newspaper and I get it going. So what I've learned slowly through trial and error is that To get a fire going, you need these three three things, and there's a technique to get the fire up to temp to warm your house. It hasn't come easy learning how to get the wood stove going. I remember the first crack I had at it was during a football game. It was the Patriots versus the Buccaneers. I don't know if you remember that game that Pats lost by a field goal last second. Anyways, I start the fire at halftime, and I don't get the fire really going until six minutes, left in the fourth quarter that's how long it took me to get the fire going whenever I started it I thought okay I'll have this up by the time halftime is done so then I can watch the second half of the game that's not how it happened it didn't work out that way it took much longer and it took much longer because I wasn't feeding the fire what it needed and it choked out and it was extinguished as I've been mastering the art of building a fire I've realized It's a very good metaphor for our souls. Our souls, whenever I say soul, the deepest part of who we are, our heart, our heart of hearts, who we are, the real us on the inside, needs to be fed. We need to feed our souls if we are going to burn brightly for Jesus. And if we don't feed our soul what it needs... It's going to get choked out and not be worth anything and not be a benefit to anyone. Our souls need to be fed if we're going to burn brightly for God. This is what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6-7. to 7. This is the Apostle Paul writing to his protege, Timothy, who's a pastor. He says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. Fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. So the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy, and he gets the wood stove analogy. It's a little bit different. But the idea of an ember there, it's bright, it's bright and shining. It's, you know, it's burned before, but now it needs to be fanned. It needs to be fanned and blown into and fed so it can burn as it did before. So that it can burn with power, with love, and with self-control. We can think of our souls as of bed of embers, shining brightly, but stu- but soon extinguishing, unless it is fed, unless it is fanned into flame. If you... Um, if you have a wood stove or, or you've kind of mastered the art of making a fire, you know the thing that you want is that bed of coals. And it's awesome. It takes a while to get there. But once you get that bed of coals in the wood stove, all you got to do is throw a log on the fire, and it's going to go right up because it's so hot, because it's ready to go, because it was fanned, it was prepared, it was fed, and your whole house is going to be warm. That's how the Bible describes us that we need to fan into flame. We are involved. Feed our soul so that we can burn brightly for Jesus. So a fire needs fuel, it needs air, and it needs a spark. What does your soul need? If you're going to fan into flame, if you're going to feed your soul so that you can find God in this new year, if we're rethinking God this new year, we need to feed our soul. What does our soul need? need in order to burn brightly. Well there's a lot of ways to answer that question. Our soul needs a lot of things. But today we're just going to look at three specific things that the Bible tells us our soul needs if it is going to be fanned in the flame, to be useful to God and to be a benefit to others and to change us from the inside. Today we're going to see as we think, as we rethink God for this new year, that our soul needs three things. First, it needs to be planted Our souls need to be planted, and we're going to see what it's planted in in a little bit. Second, our souls need to be known, and we're going to see known by who in a little bit. And then finally, our souls need to be together, need to be together. So starting first, the first passage, we're going to kind of be, uh, jump around a little bit. We're going to start in Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, and this is, Psalm 1 is one of my most favorite passages and one of my most favorite psalms in the Bible. So if you want to turn there with me now and we'll have the text on the back, we're going to read Psalm 1, verse 1 to verse 4. We're going to see that our souls need to be planted. This is what it says, starting there, Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man... Who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night he is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does he prospers it's a good word right all that he does everything he does works out the wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. What we see here is that we feed our souls by planting them in God's Word. By planting them in God's Word. It starts off with this, and anytime you hear this, you should, your ears should perk up. Verse 1, Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. So, Just stop here. What do you define as blessing? What is a blessing in your life? I know we have, sort of as a church, we have a little text, you know, thread there, and folks will text, and something happened, and I had a blessing today and all that, okay? What do you define as blessing? And all those things are blessings, okay? Now compare that to what God defines as a blessing. What does God define as a blessing? Right here he says, blessed is the man. You are blessed, and it goes on in the first verse, what we see. You are blessed if you do not live according to the wisdom of the world, but live according to the word of God. That is blessing according to God. That you are planted in his word instead of the word of the world. That's the first blessing we see working through verse one blesses the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers there's this interesting three pattern going on and it gives us a blessing of thing you're blessed if you don't do these things and then the second half you're blessed if you do do this other thing I said not doing these things and we get this three this trifold pattern we hear about three actions walking Standing and sitting, and then doing that according to three teachings from three different groups. Okay? Not walking in the counsel of the wicked, not standing in the way of sinners, and not sitting in the seat of scoffers. What we see here. And the point is, if if we are living according to the wisdom of this world, if we're planted in the wisdom of this world and not planted in God's Word, there's a progression of sin. There's a progression of sin. Your mom always warns you not to hang out with the wrong crowd, right? In high school, don't don't hang out with the wrong crowd. Why'd she say that? Because you might be influenced to do things that aren't right. And once you're influenced to do one thing, it's easier to do that thing you shouldn't have done. It's easier to do it, and it's easier to do something else that's worse. And then something else, something else, something else. And then you're much worse off than how you were before. That's the idea that we see here in Psalm 1, chapter 1. The man starts walking in the counsel of the wicked, and then finally uh, ends up sitting in the seat of scoffers. So at first, because he was planted in the wisdom of the world, walking in the way of the world, he was influenced to do wrong, now he's influencing others to do wrong. He's sitting in the seat, you think about someone sort of presiding over others. He first was influenced, now he's influencing others to do wrong. Blessing is found when you no longer are planted in the world's wisdom, teaching, or influence, but instead in the Word of God. And so that's what we see whenever we start verse 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, verse 2, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. I love that word delight there, right? I love that word delight there. His delight is in the law of the Lord. It's not like, okay, I have to do this because, like, you know, whenever I was little, my mom told me to or whatever. Like with Abram, we try to encourage him to read his Bible, okay? Is it in you? Is there a delight in you? Do you run towards it? Are you looking forward? To, are you delighting in the law and meditating on it every hour of the day so that it is shaping you rather than you being shaped by other things? This reminds us of Romans 12, verse 2 says do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind god defines this as blessing god defines this as blessing being shaped by his word and i can't tell you like whenever i see that happen these are the things you know it talks about we talked about the kingdom of god uh, last week that was a, you know another our other passage of evolving our Resolve, we need an evolution of resolution. When to see people, you know, read, get in the Word, read the Word, and then to see them change and to actually follow it and their lives to be touched by it. That's essentially what the psalmist is saying. This is the blessing of God. And we think about blessing in this fear and that fear, you know, we, we got, you know, sometimes I'll get, you know, like it's like if, if you play Monopoly growing up, sometimes you'll, you know, get on a square and you get $200 in the, in the game or whatever. But that happens in real life, right? We have tax season coming up. Some of you guys will be getting your tax check back. You're like, yes, what a blessing. And what I'm saying is that's nice. That's not that big of a blessing compared by the blessing of being shaped by the word of god compared to being shaped to someone who was in the way of the wicked now coming out of that who is in the seat of scoffing coming out of that and now delighting in god's word and being changed and wanting that and being hungry for that that is blessing and that is worth so much more than that big tax return check you're going to get I, you know I, I hope it works out for you i i'm shuddering what ours is going to look like we'll see But whether it's good or bad, doesn't matter. Blessing is found, delighting and being planted in God's Word. That is what's going to feed your soul. And so going back to that original metaphor, what are you feeding your soul? What is your soul planted in? Is it the wisdom of the world or is it the wisdom of the Word? Wisdom of the world, wisdom of the Word. Because this is the promise that God gives to people who are planted in his word. In verse 3, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and all that he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Here he is describing something that would make sense for the people he's writing to in the original the original audience. Think about the the climate, the geography. Okay, this is um, here. You know, Israelites they live in the Middle East. It's hot. It's arid. It's humid. Well, like, no, it's actually dry. It's not humid. It's dry. It's hot. It's a desert climate, and he here is describing. Someone who is planted in the Word of God as an oasis that though there be desert all around them, they are like a tree and an oasis that thrives even though the outside is so harsh has such a harsh environment, this person will thrive because it's connected to its source of water, so that whenever the hot wind blows its its leaf does not wither, it brings forth its fruit. It prospers in all that he does. Its flower does not fade. Though the desert be all around you, you thrive. That's the promise that comes for those who are planted in the word of God. This is what it says, Isaiah 55, verse 10 and 11. This is what it says. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So just as rain comes down, and whenever it hits seed in the soil, there's a harvest that comes up, okay? He's using, again, metaphor there. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sin it. What I'm saying here, and listen, okay, I get it. Your pastor's telling you to read your Bible. You know, big whoop, right? You expect your pastor to tell you to read your Bible. How predictable is that? Go to church and be told to read your Bible for the hundredth time, okay? That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that God's Word tells us that whenever we're planning in it, it actually changes us it actually produces transformation within us. But that does happen. God just wasn't wasting his words. It's exactly what it says in Isaiah 55. God will accomplish his purpose with his word as it comes down and works within you and you're planted in it. As you feed your soul with a steady supply, a steady meal of God's word. It happens. It happens. I don't know. I don't know if you ever really committed yourself to reading the Bible or not. I, you know, I I grew up. My dad was a pastor. I knew it was something I was supposed to do. I never did it until I got to college. And I remember I was reading the Book of Mark, and just opening up. And I was at my kitchen table, in my house. And I was reading it, and I was like, "This is weird. This is different, right? I'm act I'm actually reading it. I'm actually getting in there myself and doing it." And then I was like, wow, something is happening here. And it's sort of, I don't want to use the word mystical, but as you're actually reading through the Bible and you're doing it, committing yourself to it, it's exactly as it says here in Psalm chapter 1, verse 3. It yields a fruit in its season, its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. It is blessing. Because God changes your outlook on life, he changes the things you delight in, he changes your heart, he changes all the things that you thought were important, he kind of takes that away and kind of reveals what really is important. As it says in Psalm 16, you make known to me the path of life. That's exactly what he does. If your soul is going to be fed, you need to give it the Word of God. We think about Jesus in the wilderness, right? He's tempted by Satan. Satan tempts him with with bread. And what does Jesus say? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Feed your soul. Feed your soul. Plant it in God's word that your fruit will come, that your leaf will not wither, that you will prosper. That's why we're doing the five-day Bible reading challenge. We have... Uh, If you Google five day bubble reading challenge, you'll see it come up. Me and Hannah do it together. If you haven't done it yet, jump into it. Start it. If you haven't, um, you know, at this point, you're about four weeks behind. Don't try to catch up. If you try to catch up, you're probably not going to do it. Just start from week one or jump in at week four. Do it with someone. If you're married, do it with your spouse. You have a built in reading partner, they have to read it with you. You're married, right? I guess I have to but do it. It's easy if you got kids do it with your kids Don't settle for let don't make excuses for yourself. That's just what I'm saying. It's so easy To make dumb excuses for ourselves to not do the things that God has called us to do That's so much better than the other things we're doing anyways Okay, don't settle for less than what God has offered you which is himself. Okay, so feed your soul plant it in God's word plant into God's word a steady supply of God's word okay that's what your soul needs. the second thing the second way we feed our souls is by being known by being known okay first John chapter one verses five to seven let me get there in my Bible. This is what it says first John chapter 1 verses 5 to 7 this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness we lie and do not practice the truth but if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Here we see John in First John. This is a letter that John is writing to a church. This is the same John that wrote the Gospel of John that we've been working through. It's been a few months now, but we've been working through um, throughout this past year, last year. John here is using his favorite metaphor for God. And his favorite metaphor to discuss and um, sort of exemplify spiritual truths, and that is the metaphor of light and darkness. We see that in the book of John, John chapter 3. We see it here in 1 John chapter 1. Here he describes God as light. God as light. And so the idea is that God reveals things. As we understand who God is, we're then able to understand everything. Everything else. We're able to understand who we are. We're able to understand what this world is and why this world exists and what is right and what is wrong. That God is morally perfect, that God is holy, that God is morally pure. And as we gain this knowledge of God that we get from God's Word, see how those kind of connect together, being planted in the Word, growing our knowledge of God, we're able to understand the world around us like a flashlight. It reveals things. And so, as we sort of walk in the light of God, God exposes the darkness. Because we have the light, we understand the darkness. It's like last night, my sister, uh, Abby, bought me a little light for my smoker to use. At night to to find it with smoking food, it actually doesn't work for the smoker at all. It just doesn't you know connect that well. But it is a very bright light and it works awesome around the house. And so last night I was shoveling in the blizzard snowstorm trying to get ready for the morning, and I used that light. And because I have that light, I was able to more clearly see how deep the darkness outside went. That light revealed the darkness. Okay. Now, what does it mean for you, then, if Jesus is light, if God is light, what does it mean for you, then, to live in a relationship with God? God is light. What does it mean to live in a relationship with God? That's what we see in verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. To have a relationship with God, who is the light, what that means... Is that we can't say that I love Jesus I'm a Christian I'm following God and live a life that's contrary to him and I maybe not as much over here but down south where I'm from people claim the name but then whenever you actually kind of chat with them and sort of inspect their lives so to speak they live a totally different life you can't say I'm with them and then live against them or as Jesus said if you love me keep my commands if you say you know him but your life doesn't look anything like him you don't know him because as it says in verse 6 if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness we lie and do not practice the truth okay it's very clear you can't you gotta if you're gonna talk the talk you gotta you gotta walk the walk okay but then it goes a step further verse 7 Verse 7, but if we walk in the light, so if we, we know this God and are living lives that exemplify this God, okay, walking the walk, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we walk with God in the light, then you are also walking with the rest of the body, with the rest of the church, with other brothers and sisters in the light. You walk in fellowship, in relationship with other people, okay? You walk in the light of God, and then that connects you to other people. What this means is that in order to have true fellowship with God, you must be known by others. That's what he's saying. He's connecting walking in God's light directly to walking with other people. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. You see that connection? We have fellowship with one another. You got to be known by people. Like the real you, right? The heart of hearts. You got to be known because it's exposed anyways. And that's the great fear, right? Most people, this is incredibly uncomfortable. No one likes being exposed for people to know your stuff. Okay, for people to know your stuff, but that's exactly what first John, what John is saying here in first John. This is the first condition of coming to God that you will be exposed. and there's so much anxiety around that, of being exposed, right? so much anxiety, and that's why we have you know social anxiety and and I think that myself, like whenever i'm really like whenever I um, signed up to do a soccer league like three years ago. And quickly realized that I was not 18 anymore and uh, it was quite difficult and I was very anxious going because I I felt like everyone was watching me and how bad I was at soccer and how out of shape I was I was so anxious because I felt exposed I felt exposed the thing about following Jesus is that's the first condition of coming to him you're gonna be exposed This is what it says, Hebrews 4, 12, and 13. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. So God's word comes, that we're planted, in. it comes out. It's really sharp. You've got to be careful how you handle it, because you're going to get cut with it. It's piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit. It speaks to deep things, okay, and divides them, lays them bare, of joints and of marrow, Discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart, so God—it's the—it's the sharpest soul scalpel there is, and it comes in and dissects us, uh, d- dissects us. Okay, continuing, and no creature is hidden from His sight. So God sees everything, including you. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. So God's Word comes to us, and you can think about the Bible and just the general proclamation of the Gospel and Jesus as the Word of God. That comes, and its entire purpose is to lay bare our sin, to lay bare our issues, to lay bare our spiritual condition. It's by design. And it lays it bare so it can take it away. That's why it does it. A doctor is no good to me unless he is truthful with me about my condition. If I have cancer, and he says, all right, just take some Advil and aspirin and call me in the morning, right? That's not a good doctor, because he has not told me what my condition is. God's Word is the one who comes and diagnoses our problem, that we are spiritually sick, worse than that, spiritually dead. We're naked, we are exposed, and that would be bad, if that's where God left us but that's not where he leaves us he exposes our sin, so that first John 1 verse 7 the last verse there so that the blood of Jesus his son will cleanse us from all sin so this is how it works exposes it takes it away exposes it takes it away so now you're known by God but loved by God, forgiven by God, accepted by God, redeemed by God, reconciled to God, transferred into the kingdom of God, saved by God. And once that happens, now you are brought together in the fellowship of the church, brought together in the fellowship of the rest of the people who have also been exposed by God and cleansed by God. So that if you have fellowship with God in the light, you have fellowship with others in the light. But then something interesting happens. We believe the gospel, our defenses come down, come down, we're vulnerable with God, we're saved by God, then we get around each other, and what happens? The barriers go back up. The defenses come back up. We're scared again, because we don't trust each other. We trust God, we don't trust each other. Okay. We don't really want to have fellowship in the light because we don't want people to know our issues and our sins. We don't want to be vulnerable with each other, okay? John is saying that that is not how it works. I'm not telling you that you you need to tell everyone all of your issues and blast on the church Facebook page, right? Because that can be an idol for some people. Some people just, that's something that makes them... I don't know, it's a sinful thing to just talk about their issues, like they're taking pride that they struggle with with this thing and that thing. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that one way to feed your soul is for people to know your soul. One way that you are going to grow in God this year, if you let people and invite people into your life that can speak into your life, because people need to know you, the real you. You need people to know you, the real you, okay? That is going to feed your soul. The way you feed it is not hiding it from others. The greatest example that I've seen of this, or expression I've seen of this, was Helena at her baptism. And she's probably happy that we didn't have church today, so no one would look at her right in the church service. And sorry, Helena, if, if you're listening right now. But that's exactly what she did. She had her paper there. I know it was so difficult for her. I know it was so hard for her. You could just tell just by the emotion she was experiencing it. But she laid bare her soul. She laid bare her soul and just told her story and what God did. Because God brought her to the light. Now she had fellowship with the rest of the church in the light. And how life-giving is that? How restorative is that? How good is that? How feeding how much does that feed the soul okay so what I'm saying to you is that you need to make yourself known to others okay and I'm not saying again I'm not saying blast the whole church but what we see is an example in scripture that they they had the folks in the Bible had people that could speak into their lives okay we see this throughout the Bible Jesus he had his inner three not that Jesus was confessing sin to Peter okay but Jesus had a small group of people Peter, James, and John. Paul had Timothy. Paul had Timothy in the book of Acts. That's the guy we read about earlier in the beginning of fanning into flame. Aquila and Priscilla were um, very close friends for Paul and his ministry. Okay? So what I'm encouraging you to do is to find that person who can speak into your life, who can hold you accountable, who can encourage you, who can know you, and then invest in that relationship who can bring words of encouragement, who can bring words of love, but more than that, this is probably more important, who can bring words of rebuke, who can bring words of correction, who can bring words of wisdom, who can know you and be known by you. That's how you're going to feed your soul, okay? And that leads us to our last and final point. This will be Sort of a more quick one, but I think this is so important for us if we're going to feed our soul this year, and that is to be together. And how ironic that we had to move to an online service this morning because of the snow. So we've actually already started off on the wrong foot on that. Hopefully we can change that next Sunday. But we have to be together. We have to be together as a church. This is what it says, Acts 2, verse 42. Okay? And they devoted themselves. So this is the the early church. Uh, Peter just preached his sermon at Pentecost. Three thousand people are saved. They're all they're all in Jerusalem. Okay, the whole world's getting flipped upside down. And this is what happens after they all believe. Verse forty two. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul. So this is the early pass, a very early um, example, a famous passage of life in the early church, the earliest Christian community, and there's a lot that we could sort of glean from this. I've, I've preached a message on this before. We're just going to look at just a couple of things. The main point here is the insistence of the church or of God's people to be together, to be together. Okay, verse forty-four and all who believed were together, and had all things in common. Now, this is, especially with COVID, I, no, the church has never been so challenged before in being together. Here in Maine, you know, snowstorm, we're kind of used to it, but now it's like we're all, you know, because of early days of COVID, it was just, we were, just weren't together. It was so difficult to get together, and people have suffered for that. I know countless people who have just been disconnected from the body so long, and by extension, Jesus. And I'll say that because that's what Jesus says. You got to be connected to God's people to truly walk in relationship with Him. That's just the truth. You have to be connected to God's people, right? You think about Ephesians chapter five Jesus died for you. No, it says Jesus died for the church. Jesus died for the church, the the gathered people of God. Yes, he died for you. But the full expression of that, the the at the end of the day, the wedding feast in heaven is with Jesus, the bridegroom, and his church, the bride. And we're just a local expression that here in Gorham as you guys. Gather together. And things come up, snowstorms come up, that's fine. But what is going to feed your soul is not forsaking the gathering of yourselves together. That's exactly what we see in verse 44. All who believed were together. All who believed were together. And we see two different spheres of gathering, which I think is really cool. That's in verse 66. And day by day, attending the temple together, and breaking bread in their homes, they receive their food, glad and generous hearts. So these people, again, they're Jews. They're used to worshiping God in the temple. That's what they do. They're in Jerusalem. And so they gather together in a more corporate setting, a large group to practice, you know, worship and all that stuff, their religion and all that good stuff. And then the second sort of atmosphere, or the second sphere of gathering is in homes. So there's a large group there's a small group and that's what i think about i mean again consider the context 3000 people were saved 3000 people were saved at the preaching of peter and now they're getting together in the temple so we can think about that as a corporate gathering like our sunday mornings but do you think all 3000 of those people gathered together and went home no right not enough Not enough snacks to go around, right? Not enough bread to go around to feed that many people. They then broke up into smaller groups and gathered together in homes. Pretty hard to cater a meal of 3,000 people in your house. We can barely fit 12, right? That's, That's basically our max. What I'm getting at is that we need, I believe, to hold both as equal. As important as it is to gather together on Sunday, which is why... We're still having an an online service. Um, As important as it is to get together on Sunday, we also need to get together aside from the corporate gathering to rub shoulders together because it's a different dynamic. I mean, honestly, we, we had our small group here last year in the church. It just felt different. Even though it was more casual, it just felt a lot different than actually getting together in homes. And it's just so, it impresses me so much to see the Bible say they got together in each other's homes. It says that. They got together in each other's homes and they ate together. They broke bread together. They shared it's important to gather with the body. And so as a church that's what we strive to do. We gather together on Sunday morning. Right now our small groups are taking a little break but we're looking forward to starting them back soon. For me, my goal this year is I don't want just one, I want two or, God willing, three small groups to gather. You, you know, ev- you're connected to one or the other. You don't have to go to all three. You can if you want to. You probably get burnt up pretty quick from doing that if, if you did that. But to grow this gathering ministry of the church, so it can really live out the example that we see from the book of Acts, okay? And I bring that up because that's something that we're going to look at and kind of discuss this Thursday we, do have a, we are inviting the church to our house in Gorham to have you guys over to talk about what it looks like to start doing this and to break up. Because I only had one group. What we, I think we're to the point where we need two, two of those. And what does that look like, okay? Because this feeds our soul. That's what it does. It feeds our soul. This is sort of the avenue where the first two come together, being planted in God's Word and being known by others, happen in this type of atmosphere okay so we need to be planning God's Word we need to be known by others and we need to be together the example is clear and so as we're looking forward to this year and again bringing it sort of full circle rethinking God kind of looking to this year and asking ourselves you know How is God going to work on me this year? How is God going to change me? Of all the stuff that God wants me to do, how is that going to happen? And kind of going back to the drawing board, you need to feed your soul. You need to get into the Word. Do the five-day Bible reading challenge. You need to be known by others, and you need to gather together. Press in. That's the whole reason, as your pastor, I'm kind of leading and wanting to do these things, because this is what God wants for you. We had a meeting for the guys for the breakfast uh, not too long ago, and the passage we kind of worked through was Paul talking about how we just labored to present everyone mature in Christ. That on that final day, whenever you come before God, that God looks at you and he sees your growth, and he sees Jesus sort of um, formed within you, or you conform to the image of Jesus. And I take that. As my responsibility as your pastor to lead you to those things. Because you know what? I have to give an account of you. Whenever I get before God, God's going to say, All right, so how'd it go with Chris? And I'm going to be like, Well, he a little stubborn, but uh, I think we did the best we could, right? Or he's going to ask me about Andy. He's going to ask me about Ed. He's going to ask me about Jesse. He's going to ask me about Trisha. He's going to ask me about everyone, okay? To present you guys mature in Christ Jesus. And so let's feed our souls this year. Let's be planted in God's Word. Let's be known by each other, and let's get together so that God can have His way and glorify Himself and transform and change our lives. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I just want to thank You for Your Word that does come and kind of works out all these things for us in that You reveal to us the path of life. I think that text there in Psalm 16 is just so true, Lord. And then in Psalm 24, um the psalmist says lord calling you lord make known to me your ways teach me lord your ways guide me in your ways because you are the god of my salvation and that's really what it is at the end of the day for those who know jesus and love jesus and have been changed and transformed and bought and secured and rescued by him now it's just the the path of walking and knowing and pursuing your ways lord in f- that feeding us and changing us. And so I want to pray for our church lord that they would know that and 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 seek that and lean into that lord. For those that don't know Christ, I pray that they would hear this and maybe get a sense of an urgency that comes from from just the truth of your word that that we are exposed as it says in Hebrews 4 that our condition is way worse than we even realize. It's far worse that we haven't messed up here and there. We've offended a righteous and holy God, and we have to give an account to him. And that is bad news. But this God has not left us in our condition, He's not left us in our state. He's sent His Son Jesus to come and cleanse us from our sins so that we can walk in the light. And throw off the darkness. And Jesus said, The condemnation is this, the judgment is this, that the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. But all those who come to the light, who love the light, walk in the light so that they can see that their works have been carried out by God. That's what it says in John chapter 3. And so, Lord, I pray that those in darkness. repent would see at least be picked their interest Lord be piqued just a little bit Lord so they would want to know what this God is about because that word in Psalm chapter 1 is true the man is planted in the man and woman is planted in your word it's like a tree next to a stream of water whenever the wind comes its leaf does not wither, its flower does not fade in all he does he prospers but the wicked are not so they're like chaff that's blown away at the wind Lord Lord Save us. Help us. Change us. Have your way with us. Work within us, Lord. May we be planted in your word, be known by each other, be known by you first, known by each other second, and be together so that you be glorified and do a good work, Lord. We love you. We thank you for this sermon series as we're rethinking you this year. May you be glorified in us. We just look forward to what you're going to do with us and with this church. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning sermon taught by Pastor Aaron Manning at Fort Hill Community Church in Gorham, Maine. For more information about Pastor Aaron or Fort Hill Community Church, visit us on Facebook or check out our website at www.forthillchurch.com.